Hello and welcome to another Dr. Supercoach podcast. I'm joined this week by my best mate, Pistol. How are you, mate? <laughs> I'm good, thank you. But yeah, now I feel really guilty after that introduction because I know you haven't heard the podcast that we recorded last night and I may have paid you out a little bit. Wait, as in, pay- I, I assumed because I was gone, you guys just spoke well of me the whole podcast. Is that not what happened? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it was, it was great. We are... Uh, oh. Yeah, it was great. Let's let's get into this one. Excellent. Okay, well, this week we're doing a forwards podcast not too long after the JLT2 recap. We're trying to get them out as quickly as possible. We've got a few positions to go through here, Pistol. So um, we're going to get, the obviously, the defenders, midfielders, and Ruckman out uh, shortly after this one. But focusing on the forwards straight off the bat here, and let's just jump straight into it. We'll start off with the most expensive forward, and that is Sam Menegola. So didn't see him in the JLT series. What do you think of Sam Menegola? Well, look, I think uh, everyone kind of already knows this, so we'll keep it short and sweet. He's very expensive, kind of unknown what role he's going to play um, with Gaz into the side. I know Dangerfield out, well, we assume out for the first week. I know it's not confirmed, but you, you know we'll, we'll say uh, he's going to be out. So Menegola might score quite well um, initially, and then he'll probably go back to that high half forward. It's a bit too risky given his price. We don't really know how we'll play, and I don't think he'll go up too much anyway. So if you want to get him, you can just get him throughout the season, and I don't think you'll miss out uh, on too much. Yep, and excuse me, he did play in JLT1. I meant he, we didn't see him in the most recent JLT game uh so 86 off that first one and if he's going to maintain that price you're right we he needs to be scoring higher than 86 so uh someone that we can monitor throughout the season and hopefully get in i think um although not many people are starting with him i think he is someone that will end up in our team so uh, he can definitely maintain a 90 plus average uh well he's he's likely to do so uh, so we'll talk about the next man on the list, and that is Lance Franklin. So someone that featured and featured well in the JLT with an average of 112. What are your thoughts on Buddy? Because a lot of people are expecting him to drop in price uh, as he does every year. And I know they've got a bit of a tough run, but he did look very, very good in the JLT series. Yeah, he looked in fantastic, Nick JB. I think, look... It's firstly, it's a bit strange of Buddy playing uh, so well in the preseason, like actually trying. And we say that Swans have a tough opening six rounds because they do. They generally have a very tough draw. However, it's not going to be like the Swans of last year. I think this, the first six rounds, I think the Swans will probably be favourites pretty much every week, and they should be going at least you know six and zero or five and one, even with um, a tough draw. So um, in the wins, you know, Buddy's going to score well and I don't think he'll get off as bad of a start as people are expecting however he is going to have an off game every now and then you know one of those 50s and then his price is just going to drop heaps um, and then you got to kind of get him before he scores 160 and you can't afford him ever again so I think for me it's hard justifying starting with Buddy because you know you're going to get him cheaper throughout the season however you also know he's going to be a top six forward so it's kind of a uh, you know, there's two ways to go about this. Yeah, and I mean, we could look into this a little bit and assume that they're going to start much better this season. Obviously, they're aware of their start last season and didn't get that that major goal. So maybe maybe the coach is just into Buddy real early this year. Maybe he's into all the players. And they've come out treating the JLT like the first couple of the rounds of the season and just really, really gotten after it. So we, we know they obviously beat GWS in the first round, which is which was very good. Um, so that's a good result for them, obviously. So 
I mean, I don't, I don't think Buddy is someone that you, you need to avoid because of the price drop. But obviously, it's someone that if you don't start with, you know, you can get for at least the same price later on in the season. So uh, you can definitely bank on that. So his teammate Isaac Heaney, someone that didn't actually do as well as Buddy in the JLT series. What are your thoughts on him? Because a lot of people were hot on him. Uh, during obviously the preseason and last preseason, and then a few people have called off, but then you've got those people that are really just uh, glued to him, and uh, and just locked in the uh, the the pick. And I mean, anything he scored in the JLT was a win for them. So, uh, what are your thoughts on Heaney? Yeah, I've been very against Heaney the entire preseason. So um, I don't know if it's a little bit biased now, but or I'm just you know believing my own crap. But <laughs> basically. I just think that Heaney coming off, I mean, last season he didn't have a preseason. This season has been injured, you know, since up until Christmas. Um, he hasn't run that much, and it really showed in the first JLT. Um, he didn't, you know, spread from contest very well. This JLT, um, he did look better, but still not, you know, this 100-plus forward that people are expecting. But I think people quickly forget that in the, I think it was after their bye last year, Heaney only averaged 91 JB. So he's not quite as safe as people um, expect. He definitely will be a top six forward. I'm sure about that. But with that tough swan start, I think you might be able to find better value in some of the other forwards. And Heaney, I reckon, will be a good first upgrade for all of us. Yeah, and I'm sensing a bit of a, a pattern in this uh, in this forward structure. And that's that these players that are started uh, highly priced or the highest price of the forward options are players that we're actually looking at as our best upgrade target. So um, that's, the, that's the sort of vibe I've gotten thus far. Let's see if that continues with Toby Green. So uh, someone that we saw in JLT2 for a very limited time, uh, obviously just getting getting some run in the legs. We know he had an interrupted preseason as well. So just the 48% time on ground, but did score a 56 in that time. So if you double that, obviously he cracks the ton, and that's sort of what we expect him to average throughout the season. Why are people so cold on Toby Green, and are you cold on Toby Green, Pistol? He's actually in my side. <laughs> so, um, yeah, a bit different there. I think Toby Green, the most appealing thing about him to me is there's two major factors. One, he has a good buy. He doesn't have the round 14 buy that the Swans players have, that um, Menegola has, that Billings has. Um, so he's got a good buy, which is key. And additionally, the opening, you know, six to eight games, six to eight games for uh, GWS are very easy. And I reckon they're going to win by a lot. And when they're winning by a lot, Toby Green's kicking goals. And when he's kicking goals, it's scoring well. And I think his preseason, as much as he didn't get to run, that much if he's going to kick four goals a game um in those opening games is still going to be tonning up so for me toby green straight in my side it's a big call i guess but yeah the buy the buy is a major factor for this one yeah and i mean four goals a game would be exceptional so even if he if he just kicks the two or three we know he's so damaging when he gets the footy so uh if they're getting on the end of big wins which we know they do uh they tend to to smack the, the lower teams out of the park with their good run, uh, we can obviously expect him to come out the blocks uh, firing. So for those that have the concerns about Toby missing a couple of games due to suspension, what are your thoughts on that? Because I know it's deterring a few people. A few people are even saying, we'll wait till he gets over that yearly suspension and, and bring him in then knowing he'll play the rest of the season. Uh, are you confident he's over his little hot-headedness or is that something you're willing to just ride for the POD factor? No, you're, you're 100% right. I, I think he 
is actually still a massive risk. However, looking at the uh, MRO, not MRP panel anymore, the <laughs> MRO um, over this JLT series, I, I don't know if it's just me, but he seems very lenient, which is a really, really good thing when you have someone like Toby Green uh, in your side. I think usually in the past, maybe Grundy would have uh, been scrutinized a bit more for his um, high hit, and he got off with a fine. So hopefully Toby Green's going to be getting... a. Uh, maybe a couple fines instead of, you know, the one week or two week suspensions that he would have copped last year. So I don't really think he's going to avoid going to the MRO, but um, I think there's a bit of a better chance of him actually not copping any week. So that's what I hope anyway. Um, but you're right. He, he is a high-risk player in that he might just miss games for getting suspended. Good luck explaining this whole leaning MRO to Robbie Gray, who's the next person we'll discuss. <laughs> uh, so I know he's missing the first round. He's obviously missing the 10th as well due to his buy. Uh, with those two zeros locked in, well, not two zeros, we're getting a, a 40-odd off the bench. We'll talk about our forward rookies later on. Does that make Robbie Gray just impossible to pick if he wasn't already due to the round 10 buy? Yeah, no, you can't pick someone that's missing two games in the first 10 weeks. So, yeah, let's move on to the next one, JB. And he was definitely uh, unfairly given that one-week ban. <laughs> uh, are we all going to agree on that and just move on? Let's just move on, JB. <laughs> <laughs> okay, very, very political of you. Uh, so the next one is Luke Dowhouse. Uh, so someone that we've seen in the past average really well as a forward option. Uh, I mean, a couple of years ago, he was... It was someone that you needed to have in your side if you just wanted to compete. So last year, we, we saw a bit of a drop-off after a great start. Is Dowhouse someone that we're looking to avoid because we expect the the end to his season to be the same as the start of this season? Or is he just a bit too risky considering our other options? He did all right in the JLT with a 75 and 89 after not pay, playing more than 73% time on ground. Is he someone that's in your considerations or are you sort of just giving him a miss early on? No, I think you've summed it up very well. It's We don't know is the answer. We don't really know what his role is going to be exactly. Like I think he'll play um, mostly on the ball, but at the same time he scored quite poorly at the end of last year and there's so much up in the air that is it worth risking it in your starting side? I'm not sure. I'm, I'm happy to get him during the season if he starts well, but um, with so much up in the air about his role, about Toby McLean's role... Um, who's just a lot cheaper than Dalhouse, then I'm not quite sure if you can really start Dalhouse. Well, I mean, like you can, and it might work out well, but um, for me, there's just too much risk there, and I'd rather start with um, somebody they feel more confident about. Someone, let's say someone like um, Jack Billingshaby, 509k from Saints. Um, he had a fantastic end of the year, and he's really, his goal kicking has been a problem and um, we're hoping he can clean that up and if he can, he can you know average more than his uh, 92 from last year. What are your thoughts on Billings? Well, Billings is in my side and I think we see how him as a little bit more of a point of difference now than we did uh, four or five weeks ago because of that little hamstring issue that he had. So uh, we know that's why he missed JLT and we know that's why he missed a couple of weeks of his preseason. But he was flying on the track prior to that hamstring complaint, and he put in a good JLT performance as well. So, I mean, in my opinion, I don't think we can really hang our whole entire selection basis on you know, a small complaint uh, a few weeks ago, especially considering he scored 93 and 76% time on ground. I fully expect Billings to not only clean up his goal efficiency a little bit, but even if he doesn't and he mirrors what he did last year at the end of the year, that's still a very good averaging forward. So he's definitely selected in my squad. Uh, do you have a little more doubts or is he, are you trying to get him in? What's what's happening with you and Billings? 
No, I, I do agree. Obviously, the Saints have a also a tough opening, I guess, five weeks after their round one visit to Brisbane. Um, so maybe I'm trying to be too smart about it when and hoping he has a drop in price. But really, I don't think there'll be much uh, money to be gained from that strategy. So I am trying to look for ways to fit Billings in at the moment. Yeah, I think he's a great selection. Someone that people, like I said, are, are for some reason avoiding uh, a little bit due to that, that complaint that he had with his hammy. So, I mean... We, it's it's hard now because we're dropping quite a few players down here. But let's go to the fifteenth highest averaging forward from last season, and that's Michael Walters. So, a player that we saw moving to the midfield mid-season and really, really excel. Is that something we're expecting from Walters again this year? Ross is very, very difficult to predict at the best of times. <laughs> my boy, Walters has been in my side now for. Um, Pretty much the majority of the the preseason. Am I getting a little bit of cold feet? Maybe, just a touch. (laughs) But look, um, I watched him. I literally had my eye on him for the entirety of the JLT. Literally. For those matches. I was, what? Yeah, I took my eye. (laughs) You literally had your eye on him. put it on Walters to watch him. That that is some Um, serious scouting. This is is what you guys are paying for. (laughs) And uh, Walters got... Like pure mid-time. He rested forwards, as you'd expect, but he was playing off the wing, charging into the center square. He was around the ball. He was just in those stoppages and around it. Not at the center bounces themselves, but, you know, charging in from the wing. Um, He was always around it. And with the Hill brothers in doubt for round one, I think Brad will probably get up, but with um, Steven definitely um, not in consideration. I think definitely early Walters will be getting 100% guaranteed midfield time. Um, however, maybe a bit later in the season, um, he might play a bit more forward. It's a bit hard to predict, but I think he's such a good player that you kind of want to have him around the ball. Um, and when he does play around the ball, in his last 11 from last year, when he moved into the midfield, he averaged 103, which is massive. Um, that would definitely put him in the top couple of forwards. And on top of that, four of the first six matches are at home. And the teams that they play at home are weak. Um, I guess weaker, we should say. Um, Essendon, Gold Coast, Bulldogs, and West Coast. Um, I think they all could potentially be big wins for Fremantle. And uh, maybe I'm overrating Fremantle over there, but um, I, I do rate them quite highly at home this year. I think they'll be a surprise packet. And can see Walters definitely averaging you know, 100 in those matches. I am a bit worried about the away matches because... Uh, you know, they face the likes of like Geelong, Sydney, Adelaide, that type of stuff. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think uh, this is a really a gut call for people if you're on the Michael Walters uh, bandwagon. But for me, at the moment, he is strongly in my side. Yeah, and I love disagreeing with you, Pistol. But unfortunately, in this instance, I, I pretty much looked to last year and a score of 172 against St. Gilda and go, if someone's got that sort of firepower from playing in the midfield... That's someone I don't want to miss out on. I don't want to miss out on a 170 whilst he's selected in X amount of teams that aren't like isn't one of mine. So it's just the type of ceiling that I don't want to miss out on, uh, let alone my confidence in him maintaining a 90-plus average. So he's locked into my team as well. I'm very concerned about Ross, though. He's uh, he's broken a few hearts before in the Supercoach world, and I wouldn't be surprised if Walters was another one of those. So uh, let's move on to a bit of a point of difference now he's he hasn't just emerged via the JLT but he did have a good JLT 
uh, series, and that's Kane Lambert. So someone that I've heard spoken about just well, a little bit. Uh, he's definitely a point of difference. He put up 73 in his first outing and then 106. So um, a decent JLT series. That 106 does stand out to me. Is he the type of player that we could see go to the next level this year? I feel like I've spoken about Kane Lambert a lot lately, JB. Um, on the last two times I've been on, I've definitely been uh, asked a lot of questions about Lambert. So I'll keep it quite simple. In his last 13 matches last year, he averaged 93, so that's a 13-game sample size, which is quite large. Then you've got on top of that, the JLT performances were quite good. It was the same role that he was playing last year, and this time he did kick four goals in the second JLT, which is good signs. If he can uh, kick more goals, he'll score more, and I don't really see why his role should change too much from, from last year, and Richmond are probably, like in that last 13 games last year, they were very, very good. They started slowly. This year, they're already very good. You can see them in the JLT they look exceptional at the moment. They're in good nick, and I can't see why his role would change and why he should average less than 90. Although I don't think he'll go above 95, but I think 90 to 95 is um, probably a fair assessment of Lambert. And at the moment, he's only in 2% of teams as well. So he's a POD. The problem is he's got that round 14 buy, and that just really hurts, JB. Yeah, that round 14 buy that we keep mentioning is a very difficult one to navigate. There's a lot of a lot of key players out for that. So make sure when you're picking your team, you're keeping half an eye on that as well. So uh, we've skipped over a few tall forwards thus far, and I'd like to actually go back a little bit in average. So we've got players like Jeremy Cameron, Danaher, Tomahawk, Dixon, as all players that we've sort of we've jumped here. It, I think the main reason for that is that we're avoiding those, those key forward type players. Someone that might be the exception is Jared Roughhead. So we know he can play as a bit of a small as well, uh, three stints in the midfield early on, uh, earlier on in his career. I don't think he got through there much last year. But is he someone that we're sort of overlooking? I, I know you tweeted out about him uh, a few days ago. Definitely a point of difference. And someone that actually came home really well last year. Yeah, I think people are completely overlooking Roughhead. They just think, yeah, okay, he's a key forward, Hawthorne aren't as good as they were, let's just cross him off. But people fail to realize that he does run through the midfield, like he does start in some center bounces, and he averaged in the last 10 matches of last year, he averaged 92.5. So he's not a slacker either, you know, he can score quite well. He's had five seasons above 90 point average as a forward, so you know, he's got the pedigree right there, and he's in 1.2% of teams. So he's in no teams, and he has a good buy, and Really, I think that he's a fine pick. He's just completely being ignored. Yeah, and I, I suppose a lot of people started with him last season and uh, were a little bit burnt, especially early on, and traded him out early, so didn't actually get his his good run of form later on. So uh, maybe maybe he's just left a sour taste in a few people's mouths. Uh, so a couple of midfielders gone forward uh, here. So I'll start with Michael Barlow, and another one is uh, even David Mundy. What do you think of these players? I think uh, Mundy himself dropped off when Fife started playing well, so it's hard to back them both, uh, especially when we consider Fife is going to have a monster year. Um, but Barlow's an interesting one because we remember back in Fremantle days when he was either tagging or playing whatever role or dropped to the bloody waffle or whatever Ross was doing, but he was scoring so well when he was playing. We saw that a little bit at Gold Coast, but not not a lot, and then he then he obviously broke it that leg. So um, what are we expecting from Barlow this year? And um, I'll even, I'll throw in Travis Boak as well. Those sort of mid-forward players 
that are old and we sort of aren't expecting. Not many people are considering them. I'd just like to know what your expectations are of those players and have they been considered for your team? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think um, Mundy, as you said, all these players, it's old, it's risky. Mundy, his position is kind of questionable if he's thrown forward or thrown back. I'm not sure he's going to get as much midfield time as he has in the past. If you look at um, Barlow, as you said, he, I'm pretty sure he was fit in the first JLT and then wasn't selected, um, and then something happened in the second one. So, um, yeah, if you're not selected for the JLT in a young, up-and-coming uh, Gold Coast side, it's probably not worth forking out a premium price for somebody who has job security issues. So um, I'd be staying away from him. Maybe maybe he'd be a good draft pick. Um, Boak, out of the three of them, interests me the most. Um, I can definitely see the upside in Boak because you know he has scored 90-plus um, in the past and you know he's runs through the midfield sometimes. You're a Port fan, so you probably know more about Boak than I. But um, yeah, 467000 and the other options that are available in the forward line, I just can't really see him being a top six or a top eight. A maybe borderline top 10 forward, but I, I can't really see him being better than a top 10 forward, in which case, just for me, why, why bother having him in your team? So would you rather pay an extra 3000 for someone like Toby McLean pistol? <laughs> yes, but also I'm biased because I really like Toby McLean. The last 10 average last year... Um, of 95 in his final 10 matches and he looked great in the JLT he was really switched on and not only that he, he plays kind of on the wing and runs in and he gets around the ball and I wouldn't say his role is being uh, taken up by Dalhouse some people kind of think Dalhouse is definitely ahead of McLean but I wouldn't say that in the midfield pecking order um, they're both about the same but watching the games they, they look like their roles kind of um, they interchange with each other so I think McLean has a good chance of um, at least averaging 90 this year, and he's also a, a massive POD, so, um, and has a good buy. I think there's a lot of upside to the Toby McLean pick. Yeah, and so do I, actually. I think I recommended for someone to to go for him uh, on our page not too long ago. They they messaged me and said they were looking for point of difference picks around that 400 to 500k range, and McLean's just the one that stands out to me the most, so... Uh, he he looks to actually be a real solid pick, and look, I'm gonna I'm gonna even say I'll go out on limb here, pistol. I'll back you up, so you don't you're not alone on this call. I'm gonna say he's he's probably okay. I'll reword that. He's probable for a 90 plus average. So well, if you're selecting McLean, that's what you should be expecting. I expect big things from McLean. Well, he did get a 98 and a 90 in the JLT, so he's uh, already, you know, showing he can score above 90, and that would be a pretty good return on investment, I think, at 470k. It's a bit cheaper than the, the top-line premiums and could actually match them. All right, we've got to stop this because we did this about Sicily not too long ago, and then he ended up in everyone's team, so... Let's just keep this one a little bit more to ourselves, Pistol. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. So the next couple of players... Are- I mean, the word trap gets thrown around a lot, but these players almost personify it. So, I mean, they might not. <laughs> I could be very wrong. To me, they they look like decent-sized traps, but a lot of people are picking them. So let's start with Petrarca. And I know we've spoken a lot about him in the preseason. Um, and then let's finish with Caddy. So someone that's a known JLT performer, not very well known as a, a season performer. Uh, obviously, he did well in the finals last year. But would you like to have a chat about these two? Because I think 
a lot of people are expecting big things, but they haven't actually shown that many signs to be locking them in like a lot of teams have. All right, so I'll talk about Higgins. Why would I talk about Higgins? <laughs> I'll talk <laughs> about... Sorry. I'll talk about Caddy, and you can talk about uh, Petrarca because I know you desperately want to talk about him, so I'll uh, let you have that one. Um, but for me, look, Caddy, he's playing in the JLT without Prestia. Prestia is going to come in um, early in the season, probably not round one. And Caddy's just going to get thrown back out into that forward line. So for me, that that screams trap. I mean, everyone's expecting Caddy to break out. It was a high draft pick. Um, everyone had high hopes, and he just hasn't delivered. And I'm, I'm not sure he's going to be a consistent forward super coach option. Uh, when he's not playing with Prestia at the moment, I just really can't see him taking the next, next step and averaging 90-plus. He might go 85, um, which would be an improvement for Caddy. But I'm just not seeing this 90-plus. He's got a round 14 buy, which is a massive negative. Um, yeah, there's, there's, the cons massively outweigh the pros for me with that that caddy pick and the Higgins pick, I should say. And uh, what are your thoughts on Petrarca? If I may, can I speak a little bit about Sean Higgins? <laughs> no, going to stop you before you start. Just focus, fo- settle, focus on Petrarca. If we're honest, you brought him up, so... <laughs> Just Jack like Higgins. To point that Jack out. Higgins. Oh, Jack Higgins. Oh, no, I don't want to talk about him. Um, so Petrarca. So we're shelling out money that we would be paying for a premium, and this is one hundred percent four hundred and thirty-three k. You're not looking to make money on Petrarca. He's not someone that you're getting in and saying, "All right, let's upgrade him in X amount of time." You're getting him because you're thinking he's going to be a top ten forward. For me he'd have to improve just beyond any sort of imagination. He's only scored three super coach tons in his career. Three. Uh, sorry, four. He scored four tons in his career. And I know the counter argument for a lot of people is, oh, Dangerfield only had this amount of tons in X amount of game. No one picked Dangerfield before he broke out. And he, he broke out slowly over four or five years, not over two. Petrarca, to me, just seems like someone that would have to go 20 more on his average, and I just don't see him doing it. He might get more forward time. Uh, sorry, he might get more midfield time, which would be great for his average. I can definitely see him improving, but he's not look, He's not someone that I'm looking at considering for another one or two seasons. And worst case pistol is he goes up 50K because we know he's not going to be super consistent. He's going to put in the occasional average score when Melbourne have the occasional average defeat. So we're going to be paying maybe 50, 60K extra and go, okay, our bad, let's let's fork up the extra money. If he fails, you're already wasting trades and you're already... It's just, I can't justify the 20% ownership in my head. <laughs> like, he's very, very popular. And I can definitely see the upside. He's obviously going to be an amazing player. But super coach relevance this early in his career, I don't think it's there for a top 10 forward pistol. Yeah, that that summarizes my thoughts as well. And, I mean, it's going to be funny because Viney's not playing in round one. Petrak is probably going to be the main... Uh person to benefit from that and he's probably going to come out with a big bang and people might be jumping on or celebrating about how great the pick is and Vine is going to come back and Petrarca might see lesser time around the ball and might you know scores might suffer obviously there's a lot of mites and buts and ifs um, and we'll see time will tell but I definitely think if you're going to be paying that much for a massive if and but in Petrarca 
why don't you spend 6k more and look at somebody like uh, Devin Smith for example JB yeah and we will move on to Devin Smith in just a second uh, before I talk about him They've also promised Jesse Hogan more midfield time. And he played a bit through <laughs> the midfield in the JLT. Like, how many more people can they push through the midfield? Not everyone can play this 100% midfield time in an average 120. I just don't think it's Petrarca's year this year. I think we're, we're jumping the gun just a little bit. Everyone's everyone's getting all profity on us. Um, so we will talk about Devin Smith, who had an outstanding JLT performance. Uh, his first game was obviously uh, much better than his second, which is surprising considering they won the second and lost the first. But uh, 118 off 81% game time, and then 83 off 79% game time. They're, they're numbers that you can't really ignore. For his price, if he does average 100, which he did in the JLT, then you're getting a bargain. You're getting a top 10 forward for not much. And he's, yeah, he's, I think he's lower risk considering uh, he, he's shown this sort of scoring ability at GWS, although not consistently. But what do you expect from someone playing half forward behind a dozen better midfielders? Uh, now that he's in that midfield, I think he's finally got his time to shine. And for me, he's been locked in since that first JLT performance showed us how much midfield time he was getting. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. And he doesn't have the round 14 by, so that's a massive tick. And look, you see Stringer play through the midfield. I know we'll, we'll talk about Stringer in a little bit, but that experiment is has failed. It's over. They're going to have to force Stringer to play in the forward line because... As a team, when he's in the midfield, they look shocking. Um, so I think Smith will be the one to get more midfield time going into season 2018. And as you said, he scores well when he plays in the midfield and he will get midfield time. They, they had a forward go down just recently and the, the name's escaping me. Fantasia. Yes, yes. I think Stringer also goes forward for that reason. Um, that A lot of people are saying, does that turn you off Devin Smith with Fantasia going down? Smith is definitely a better midfielder than Stringer, and Stringer is a better forward than Devin Smith. So I think that's an obvious switch there. Uh, one last uh, player that I, I think is incredibly risky, but I'd like to actually chat about him, is Darcy Parrish. So selectable in the forward line, 419k. He's the type of player I'd ask Cheezo about, to be honest. But he scored 89 and 82 in around 70% time on ground over the JLT games. If he gets that 80% time on ground, he could be averaging in the 90s at least. Is this the sort of breakout year that we've been expecting for Darcy? He's getting that bit more midfield time, or is it a bit of a flash in the pan? Maybe, maybe a year too early on Darcy Parrish as well. <laughs> you said one last player. I hope we're not ending the podcast um, just after Darcy risky, Parrish. Risky but... player. We've been talking about risky players. <laughs> there will be more risky players, trust me. We're getting down to the... The dodgy price range there'll be plenty of risks but yeah Parrish you're right with the 89-82 I think he actually will average you know between 80, 89 and 82 or I should say 82 and 89 and uh, that that seems fair for him he's a, he's a young guy I don't really think he's going to be getting the 85% time on ground that we might hope he probably is going to be getting in the high 70s and he won't be playing as a full-time midfielder, but he will be getting a lot more midfield time than last year. Um, so he will improve in his average, but I don't think it's enough to be a top 10 forward. And if it's not a top 10 forward, then, you know, why bother? Yeah, and that's it. Uh, that's what a lot of people aren't realizing with the Petrarca pick as well. If you're not backing them in to, to finish top 10, then you shouldn't be paying that much for them. Uh, so a player that's been spoken about and hyped up a lot in the preseason uh, mostly by Carlton fans. I almost want to say exclusively by Carlton fans. Uh, what do you think of Charlie Kerno? Didn't have the best JLT series himself, but talks of mid-full time for him as well. And he's that bigger-bodied player that would really do damage through a midfield if he 
if you built the tank up for it. Is he someone that you've considered at all? He's in. He's at a lower price bracket than anyone we've spoken about thus far. Uh, he's just over 400k. No, I think it's the same with all of these picks. He's, he's 408k. I mean, even if he averages 90 for the first, you know, six, seven games, um, he's only going to go up 50, 60k. And I, I basically, you can afford him no matter how well he goes as long as he's not smashing out, you know, 150 plus. Um, in which case, you may as well just wait and see on these guys. Really, at the 400k mark, they're not making you enough money to be a cash cow, and they're probably not going to be um, a top 10 forward. And if they are, then you can just get them for, you know, an extra 50, 60k. So all of these two high-risk, high-reward picks for me. Um, I think if you, you wanted to have a good overall rank at the end, you have to be um, a little bit... Uh, can um, you know you have to you have to play it a bit safe while also taking calculated risks and I don't think any of these um, random forwards are what you'd call a calculated risk. Yeah, and two scores in the sixties over the JLT, so uh, nothing to really excite us anyway. Uh, so let's have a look at our next forward, and it is none other than James Sicily. So we've spoken extensively about him. I think he's on a lot of people's radars. I just want to ask Pistol, have you called off on him after his 50-odd performance against Carlton in the JLT, or is he still firmly locked into your side? No, he's in my side. Um, I spoke about it on the, the podcast yesterday, but um, basically as a summary, because I know you haven't heard it, JB, looking <laughs> at his uh, last 10 um, from last year, where he averaged 91, his role is identical, his temper is identical um, so if we averaged 91 last year in those last 10 games I can't really see that changing I mean he still had 20 touches and 8 marks in the latest JLT for a poor score he did give away a 50 meter penalty and you know he did in both JLTs he gave away a 50 meter penalty in both um, and he gave away 3 frees but it's going to happen you have to take the high with the low and you know his big games as you saw in the first JLT with 114 um, he can can score really high and he can score a bit low. He's going to be inconsistent, but the 400k, somebody that could average above 90, well, should, uh, I'm going to make, say, a big call. I firmly believe he will average above 90. And I also think there is a small chance that he can average more than 95, which is why I'm so confident in uh, my selection of him. And that's why at 400k, um, I think he's great. But at the same time, if you just listen to what I previously said about hopping on them if they are good for an extra 50, 60K later. Um, you can also do that. The only reason I'm not doing it in this case is because I have about 410K to spend in my forward line and I need a primo and I think he's the best option at that price and I'm not really willing to spend it on a mid-pricer. So you're saying that you'd rather spend 400K on someone like Sicily than do what a lot of teams are doing and spending 350K on Jake Stringer. <laughs> Yes, you could say that I yes. am avoiding okay. Stringer like the plague. So let's have a chat about Stringer. I know we've spoken about him. Uh, we spoke about him earlier. Now um, he has scored decently in that forward role, and that's the role that we now expect him to go into. Which means we can't take his JLT uh, without a grain of salt, considering he played a lot of midfield time there. Uh, something that didn't really suit him either. If he does play that exclusive forward role for a team that people expect to be around that top six. Does he then become a somewhat enticing pick just for 350k? Is the type of player that you could make some money on, or are we also selecting him to be top 10? No. Look, he's 350k. If you want to make 150k out of him, 
he's going to need to average primo numbers, in which case you're keeping him. And he's not going to average primo numbers um, because he doesn't get enough of the ball, he doesn't do enough with it, and there's not enough there for him to actually average above 90. So if you have Jake Stringer in your team, quickly click the you know the little the minus sign and get rid of him. And if you need someone at the identical price, JB, I think there's two options within $2,000 uh, that are better options than him. And uh, do you want to say who they are? I'd like for you to say who they are, actually. <laughs> I think uh, people might be uh, thinking a little bit about Jake Melksham. Um, I think that's a, a massive POD. I'm sorry for those who were hoping we didn't mention him. I know that uh, had a couple of inboxes, but he was already firmly on my radar before that. So apologies to those people because they actually didn't want us to talk about Melksham. But JLT1, 119. JLT2, 82. He's getting midfield and forward time. Obviously, Viney's out, so he'll probably lose some of that midfield time. But he did average 100 in the JLT at 357k. No one is going to argue with me if I say Melbourne are going to improve this year. Naturally, you'd expect them to do better, and he's playing in the position where if Melbourne are going to do better, he's probably also going to improve a little bit. He ha- has always had a lot of potential and not really lived up to it. Up to it, and this might be the year for uh, Melksham. Yeah, I don't disagree. And uh, those that hundred average in the JLT came with a sixty nine percent time on ground. So, I mean, I assume his tank is higher than that, and he can get around the seventy or even eighty percent mark. That then means that hundred average. If he can just maintain that, that'd be an incredible pick. Um, I personally am not confident he can maintain that. He's also a hundred k on top of. Uh, Alan Christensen and I expect them to average similarly in the same position I, I haven't put a lot of consideration into Melksham but I mean maybe I should his numbers were incredible th- during, the, during the JLT there yeah and the other person at the same price of 357k Josh Thomas for Collingwood named on the ball in both games I know Chizo's quite high on him he's been talking about him a lot JLT1 he scored 109 JLT2 he scored 79 so he averaged 94 um, across both JLTs. And look, his role actually looks promising. You've got Adams that's moved now to the half-back line, which has kind of opened up more of a midfield role to go. He's out, which means we don't have that many more options, uh, old Collingwood. So uh, I think Josh Thomas is going to get that midfield time, and it's just a matter of not whether you think he can score well. And I think he can score reasonably well, but not well enough to start in our Supercoach sides. I think he is a great, great, great draft pick for this year yeah and very will be very under the radar as well so obviously he had that time that year off as well so not a lot of people expecting him to come out with a bang but his JLT says otherwise and he could just be very hungry for it yeah and uh Sorry. now JB tell me there's a couple of these options around 300k mark the first one's an obvious one so I'll ask you about that first but there's been a lot of people asking us about a large, large, large variety of players around this price range. Um, so we're going to have to talk quickly, I think, um, about each one of them. We'll, we'll say one or two minutes on each one of them because there's quite a few to cover. Um, so just just tell me your first thoughts, but we'll start easy. And uh, Cyril Rioli, 317k, they said is going to be fit for round one. What are your thoughts on Cyril? Didn't play in the JLT, uh, didn't have much of a preseason. I know he may be fit for round one, but he's a soft tissue magnet. And that sort of player at that sort of price, I want to at least trust uh, until a buy round. So even if it's ports, 
Um, so for me, he's not on my radar. I know he can score big. He might even have the highest scoring potential out of all of them, but I can't trust him to be in my squad for more than three or four rounds. And considering our forward rookies, I can't trust anyone to replace him when he does miss a week. So for me, it's a firm no. No, that that makes perfect sense. And now uh, I'll tell you, ask you about an ex-Port uh, boy from Gold Coast. He averaged 80 across the two JLT matches, which is okay. Um, Aaron Young, 313k. How do you see him as a pick this year? Yeah, and I've always liked Young's potential. And he had a big year for us a couple of years ago uh, when we... We were actually really, really short for players that could finish uh, inside 50. And I think he put 30 goals on the board. So he had a great year, averaged uh, around in the 70s that year. Was actually spoken about as a bit of a POD. For me, uh, he averaged uh, just on 80 pretty much for the JLT. He did that in Gold Coast's... Uh, I know they were competitive for at least one of the matches. I don't think they will be competitive much throughout the season at all. And as a player who relies firmly on goals... I can't entrust him with a forward position. However, it wouldn't shock me if he got around that 70 average this year. Uh, That's just not what I'm looking for at that price. I think there are players below him in price that could average more. No, that's a great answer. And, you know, it's uh, it's funny because people don't realize that you have no idea that I've just taken this turn on the podcast and I'm just bringing this all upon you and it's actually quite fun so I see why you like doing that to me so now I'm going to ask you about the next player I'm not even going to give you a chance to let you throw a player at me um, tell me your thought Mason Cox 305,000 ruck forward yeah and we spoke about this this guy in the uh, in the in the lead up to the podcast I'm glad I've got a bit of um, a bit of a heads up at least uh, so 145 which is huge um the thing is with Cox, uh, he's just too tall, Pistol. <laughs> I can see him putting up scores of 30 or 40, and I can see him putting up decent scores of 100 plus, but who knows what you're going to get week in and week out. And he's a player that relies uh, heavily on hitting the scoreboard. And I don't know about you, Pistol. You might be a little bit more delusional than myself about Collingwood's hopes this year, but I don't see them uh, hitting the 100 plus mark too many times on the scoreboard which means Cox, with his reliance on, on doing so and his height, which means he's not getting too many possessions, in other words, uh, means his consistency is probably too much to, to handle. Yeah, that, that's Inconsistency. it. He, he, he might make up, you know, a massive, you know, 145 and then go up 60K, but the next two weeks he might get 30s as well. So I don't think as a ruck forward option, people are pretty desperate for one, but I don't think they're actually going to get a good one with Mason Cox. It's it's probably best to avoid at this stage. But there is somebody, fear not, JB, there is a <laughs> decent option, 296K, Josh Dunkley in the JLT. Um, he averaged 94, which is quite impressive. Um, 114 in the first game, 73 in the second game, 84% time on ground in both games. Um, I don't know why I found that so fun. I know it's not a fun fact, but fun for people like me and uh tell me your thoughts on josh dunkley um dunkley i rate i actually really like dunkley i don't know why i'm so bullish about uh bulldogs uh, forward options this year uh the pod ones but dunkley actually looked very good throughout the jlt and he's he's had spurts in his career where he's looked very good um to me though he he might have the highest ceiling of anyone that we'll talk about. Um, I know I said Cyril does earlier, but the highest ceiling with someone that can actually play more than five games in a row. 
Um, but he also has one of the lowest floors. So someone that I, I think is very risky and someone that could be very reliant on how the Bulldogs are traveling and what role he's given on a week-to-week basis. So someone that I'd love to put my hand up and say, yep, he's in my team. I love the POD pick, but I'm a very conservative player and he's not going to be in my side. So gun to your head, nothing else matters. Dunkley versus Christensen, not even the money matters. Which one would you take? I'm going to pick the safety of Christensen, knowing okay. that he'll go 70 plus no matter what. All right. Well, looking down at the next player, I'm going to say a side note that I really like Darcy Tucker at 295k, not for a particular reason. Um, <laughs> as a dra- as a draft slidey, slidey, smoky, <laughs> or slider, um, I think uh, Darcy Tucker for your draft teams might be a, a little cheeky one off the waiver. But um, let's go to Tom Bell, 287k JB. He really tore apart the JLT. Um, he scored 79 from 50% time on ground, and then he scored 104 from 68% time on ground. That's 92 average from only 60% time on ground during the JLT. What are your thoughts about Tom Bell? And the numbers look great. Uh, it's, it's something that we have never seen from Tom Bell, and unfortunately, it's something we're probably never going to see him uh, emulate again. So... Uh, he's very, very, his skill set is very reliant on positioning and the amount of outs that they had during those JLT games, namely Dane Beams, who plays the identical position, uh, Reese the Beast Matheson as well, playing an identical position. Um, it's hard to sort of fit Tom Bell even in the, the best 22 for Brisbane. I think his JLT form definitely gets him there round one. However long he can maintain that playing a different role than what he did is the question. So for me, if you're looking for a high-risk, high-reward, then sure, I think I'd prefer Dunkley over him. But if you're if you're looking for anyone with any sort of safety whatsoever, just go for his teammate, I think. Yeah, so that pretty much summarizes it very well. I think uh, Tom Bell, if he's there by round three, I would be very surprised. I think, yeah, Beams and Matheson coming in, it's going to really, really hurt him. So... I guess we'll see, but at the same time, for some reason, if he's still in there by round three, he potentially has the highest potential out of any of these uh, priced players. Um, But for me, I really don't want to pick somebody who could be dropped by round three. Um, So we'll move on to somebody that also might be dropped by round three. Um, Mark Hutchings, 282k, midfield forward. There's no Pritis, there's no Mitchell. What do you think of Mark Hutchings, JB? So a 75 average through 61% time on ground during the JLT. And he's someone that, I mean, he surprised me a lot when you mentioned him (laughs) to me earlier. Uh, Someone that I hadn't considered at all, but he's a sneaky, decent option. Um, So obviously he's had good averages in the past. I think you'd be able to rattle them off better than I would. Um, But he looks like the type of player that could be one of those, oh, how we not know who this guy was going to go 80 plus. so, I mean, if you're daring and if you entrust, and maybe if you're a West Coast fan even, um, you've probably seen more of him than I have, but he's the type of player that, he, I mean, he's got the potential. He's shown it before, so if you want to back him in, then back him in. Um, I can't really argue for or against him, to be honest, because uh, I, think, I think he's a bit of an unknown. Uh, I mean, he's very role-dependent as well, so he played a bad role last year. Average to bad average, but with the opening spot in the midfield, who knows? Yeah, that that's it. He, he's just, I think, the riskiest pick at this price, which is crazy because they're all really risky picks. But for me, he is the riskiest pick. Last year as a tagger, um, off the top of my head, he averaged about 50. 
And the years prior to that, he, um, he averaged about 70. I remember him bursting onto the scene because I picked him up in the draft league and he averaged 90. Um, and he was fantastic. But he seems to not play that same role anymore as an accumulator. He's more of a run with tag, tagger player. Hopefully he can get back to those 70s averages. And um, I guess that upside, people are really hoping he can play an accumulator role and you know, average 90. But I just don't see it happening. But he is, I, I would stick to my guns and say, the riskiest of these uh, risky picks. Yes, I tend to agree. And I'm going to take back over here. Uh, because I don't know how you wrestled control from me there, but I did enjoy it. That, that's how you tell we go off the cuff because I was very confused throughout that whole thing, but it went very well. So um, I'm going to direct our conversation a little bit towards the rookies now. So this may be the biggest forward dilemma that we have this year. Uh, it might not even be selecting the players like we've just discussed for 40 minutes. It might be how many players we're going to get on our field uh, how many premiums, sorry, we're going to get in our forward line and how many rookies we could dare to field because none of them look like they're going 60 plus except maybe Fritch who relies heavily upon goals. It's tough. <laughs> it's very difficult. I'd like to know what sort of setup you're running in your forward line thus far, Pistol. That's a good question, but I, I'm going to say I I did thoroughly enjoy you answering uh, those questions off the cuff. You did a really good job. <laughs> We did um, skimp a little bit over Christensen, but we had talked about him um, in pretty much every comparison, and um, we both think that his price is a pretty pretty solid pick. Still, I think he's the safest pick, concerns. yeah. He hasn't really left my side, so I think it's fair to say the other ones are, are good to entice us to try something different, but I think at the end of the day, uh, Christensen will have the highest ownership of the lot, and rightly so. Yes, and uh, Chizo might get mad at us about not mentioning uh, Darcy McPherson, because... Uh, him and I are a little bit of fans of him, but obviously uh, his role um, and his position in the best 22 isn't guaranteed. So I will answer your question now about what <laughs> um, structure I am running. It does change day by day. Um, I have pretty much am deciding between four premiums and a mid-pricer or five premiums um, in the forward line. I am going that deep because I do not like any of these forward rookies Besides, as you said, uh, Fritz and also Liam Ryan from West Coast um, looks a handy type player, but not a good super coach scorer. And after those two, it is slim, slim pickings, JB. Um, you've got Venables, who is the weirdest player. He looks like he should be really <laughs> great, but he can't seem to get any, you know, he can't get the peel. He's not an accumulator, but he uses it so well. Um, but he's got the body of somebody like a you know 185 centimeter big body midfielder that doesn't get the ball. It's it's just boggles the mind. Um, and Waterman for West Coast is filling in for JJK, um, who's going to be out until at least round three. So Waterman should at least get a price rise hopefully. But all those players, you know, they they don't score particularly well. So um, I don't want to have any on my field, and I don't really want to have any on my bench. But I'm forced to. So um, <laughs> yeah, I think uh, that. I'll be going five deep at least in my forward line. What about yourself, JB? Yeah, and at the moment, I think I've got two rookies on field and Christensen being the the other player, but that, that does change a lot. And sorry, actually, that's what I had this morning. Um, since then, I've gone with the Christensen at uh, the second to last position and a, only one rookie on field. So it's changing a lot, but I think the only thing that actually makes me feel safe is having that Christensen at F5 and the, the rookie at F6. So it just goes to show how how bad our, our rookie stocks are in the forward line. And at the same time, it shows how good they are in the midfield and defense to to enable us to sort of do these wacky lineups and still have good rookies on field everywhere else. So 
I think it's it's going to be a tough decision, but it's going to be one that sets you apart from the rest. So if you're going to back in the rookies, and I mean, a lot of people might be stuck with just only able to get one rookie on field, and Ryan might be a sleeper who averages 70, and Fritch might hold his spot and average 70. Like it's, it could backfire, but at the moment it's looking very safe, which is strange to say, to only go with one rookie on field up forward. So a bit of a strange situation, that's for sure. Yeah, and I think uh, people might be questioning why we haven't mentioned a couple of the more expensive rookies, and um, that's probably because we don't really think they're very good options. So a little bit of explanation. Darcy Fogarty, although he played really well, Tex wasn't playing. Tex is going to come back. Tex mentions the other day that he thinks in round one they're going to have a debutant, and it's going to be a duty down back, and did not mention Fogarty at all. Um, so maybe if Tex misses round one, Fogarty will play, but you'd expect him to probably go out um, when Tex is back. They've got a lot of players that play the same position, so I don't think he'd hold um, his spot for very long. And then you've got Jaden Stephenson from Collingwood. 180k looks like he's going to be a great AFL player, but a poor super coach performer. He's kind of got that X factor, that flair, but you don't get points for the X factor and the flair. Um, you just doesn't look like he's going to be a rookie that averages more than 55 and at his elevated price he's just not going to make you any cash so sure you might say 50 points on the field is better than nothing but you're not really making any money out of it so someone to avoid over there for me and obviously the number one pick Cam Rayner he looked very good in the second game but that was in a mud fest and his score of 71 only came from 10 tackles Um, he doesn't seem to get much of the footy, which is an issue when the scoring system mostly relies on you getting the footy. Um, So for me, Rayner is also not probably going to make you much money at all, Um, although he should get games. So he's a bit of an interesting pick. If you kind of find yourself with a 200k and you don't want to fork out, you know, 117,000 for a, you know, Garlet or somebody that also might not play... He might be worth it, but uh, for me, I'm definitely staying clear of Game Rana at the moment. Yeah, and fair enough. I don't think I've had him in since uh, since the first couple of weeks of preseason started. So, um, yeah, it's just dire straits down there, and I think that'll pretty much wrap us up. I want to know your, your safest and your uh, most comfortable risky pick as well, uh, just to cap <laughs> us off here. So your safest player in the forward line and your best POD pick. I'm going to say my safest player is going to be Jack Billings. Um, I mean, safest is... Do you mean safest for to finish in the top six at the end of the season? Yeah, yeah. so if you're going to pick with? any premium and just go, bang, let's start with them. Nah, start with, start with. Start with would be Billings' safest pick, I think, is probably Heaney. Um, but yeah, as I said, someone I'm looking to get throughout the season. So to start with Billings, safest risky pick. Um, that doesn't make any sense, JB. All right, well, um, your favorite POD. <laughs> my favorite POD, it doesn't have to be a premium POD or can it, is it a mid-price POD? It can be any POD you see. Any POD you see. Um, I'm really liking Toby McLean. Um, I know you said that you think he's going to go above 90. I will say I also think he's going to go above 90 and can really see him being in that, that top eight uh, forwards, pushing, you know, six to eight boundary. Um, and at 470K is, is quite a nice price, kind price as well. So that's uh, my my picks. Uh, who, who would you say is your safest pick, JB? <laughs> well, I'm going to be honest. I expected you to pick Green and Lambert. Um, <laughs> I was going to pick Billings and McLean. 
So I guess I'll go green and Lambert. I'm a little bit upset at how that all went down. Well, I'm, uh, do you want to expand on why you think they're, they're your safest and riskiest selections, Jamie? Well, they're your safest and riskiest selection. You went with mine. Um, Lambert, with his run home last year, uh, looks like he's going to have the same role. If you're going to pick a POD player that could go over 100, he looks like one that is probably has shown the closest signs to doing so and is still a huge point of difference. So I think um, I don't think he's safe, but that's what makes him a POD. So um, if he did go 100 plus, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Green, obviously, with his opening run in the season, I think is it can be the safest play that you start with. However, there's a reason you've got Green and I've got Billings Pistols, so thanks for taking my pick there. I believe in Billings slightly more than Green, but I think they're both excellent picks. <laughs> and uh, thank you very much uh, for coming back on the podcast. We, we missed you, and we only said kind things about you on the previous podcast. And uh, for the community, if you'd, you'd like to leave us a review on iTunes, it helps other people find us. If you manage to leave us a, maybe a nice review, uh, we will maybe review your team if you were willing to send it to us at uh, drscpod at gmail.com that's adoptasupercoachpod at gmail.com um, yeah chuck us uh, your team and we'll uh, review it for you and JB look we're going to have to uh, plug your Twitter because you're not getting so much love recently <laughs> you're still a good 60 followers behind me so I'm very comfortable with my Twitter positioning but it is JD, uh, JB. I don't even know my own name, Pistol. This is what it's gotten to. It's JB hyphen DRSC. So. Well, mine is uh, Pistol underscore DRSC. I'm laughing because you said hyphen. I'm pretty sure it's an, <laughs> an underscore. Uh, you can find Chizo at Chizo underscore DRSC and JB at JB underscore DRSC. As um, soon as I said hyphen, I was like, that's not even my handle. Like, I'm actually plugging someone else's Twitter handle. That's that's how... I can't wait to listen to this last podcast that you guys did because I'm going to need some positive reinforcement after this one. Uh, I've lost the plot, so I think we'll uh, <laughs> end it here. But looking forward to the next uh, set of series. I'm not sure if we'll do uh, defenders or midfielders or rucks or whatever next. But uh, thanks for listening, community, and we'll be back. <laughs>